Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Anderson. In this episode, we focus on a key community affected by hepatitis B virus infection, people of childbearing potential and their infants. I'm joined today by Dr. Joseph Ahn, Professor of Medicine and Section Chief in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Dr. Christina Dela Cruz Lason, Associate Professor and Medical Director of the Liver Transplant Program at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, and Alice Chan, a person who experienced pregnancy while living with chronic hepatitis B. They will discuss their solutions to overcoming barriers to HBV care in this key population. To follow along with the accompanying slide set, please visit the link in the show notes for this episode. Now, let's get started and hear what Dr. Ahn, Dr. Layson, and Ms. Chan have to say about HBV care in people of childbearing potential and their infants. I'll start off the discussion with hepatitis B screening and vaccination pregnancy. Preventing perinatal hepatitis B transmission is a key component of the U.S. strategy to eliminate hepatitis B. The level of maternal viremia really correlates with the risk of transmission, with very high levels of viremia conferring the highest risk for transmission. Thus, the CDC recommends universal screening of all pregnant persons for hepatitis B surface antigen during each pregnancy. So I just wanted to start with this discussion in terms of um, what barriers may prevent patients of childbearing potential and or um, pregnant people from being tested for hepatitis B. I wanted to include our panel, uh, Dr. Ahn and Alice. We'll start with uh, Alice. Um, as a patient, did you see any barriers during your childbearing uh, period or years or during pregnancy from getting tested? Yes, there's a lot of barriers that will be associated with uh, a pregnant woman. And especially for myself, and at that time, I was uh, kind of a lot of uh, stigma being involved to kind of find out that I am HPV positive. Even though by the time my doctor did the testing on my first pregnancy, find out I was uh, positive with HPV. And uh, at that time, I was really scared and fear of isolations and uh, feel like I am unclean because based on my upbringing culture, that hepatitis is an infectious disease. It's very strongly associated with the stigma. And we don't talk about it, even though in my family, you know, that they never mention about any infectious disease. It seems like it is kind of bad luck and will kind of change you. And so my hepatitis B chronic carrier, probably I got it from mom. So definitely the stigma of the cultural and also the linguistic part of it, you know, is, is a, a heavy impact for getting, you know, tested and also aware about what's going on with your body carrying, being a chronic carrier. Well, I think as we've heard from uh, Ms. Chan, we know that there are barriers from multiple aspects um, to prevent people from getting tested. I think from a a patient standpoint, we've really eloquently heard about the fear and stigma associated with having the disease itself. Once being identified as having the disease, it can lead to a significant worry and fear about what this might mean for themselves, as well as the baby in, in, uh, in their womb. 
In addition, I think even before we get the fear and stigma, there's a lack of awareness and education uh, within the community itself that contributes to this fear and stigma. And so that's something that remains a significant barrier. And then there's this aspect of cost and time in the midst of uh, finding out one's pregnant, then finding out there that they have chronic hepatitis B, then there's additional tests uh, which take time and money. And I think that's a practical aspect that can also be a barrier. So that's from a patient perspective. From a physician perspective or a provider perspective, there's also barriers because they may not be aware or be updated in their education to know that patients should be tested and that uh, they need follow-up and also what to do once uh, they're found to be uh, positive. And I think from a systems perspective, the barrier is that if there isn't a system that catches the patients who are at risk and educates the providers, this leads to a systematic issues that act as barriers. So there's multiple aspects, patient, provider, and system uh, that need to be worked on to reduce the barriers and improve access for testing and subsequent management and treatment. Thank you, Ms. Chen, and thank you, Dr. An. Those were very good thoughts and like feedback and summary of all the things that go on when you know deciding on, or even testing, getting tested during childbearing period and pregnancy. And I agree, like there are a lot of patients that are very hesitant and and also not aware of particular impact of hepatitis B. And I think there's a lot of fear of that potential stigma. In terms of like vaccination rates, how can we improve um, hepatitis B vaccination rates um, in patients who are unvaccinated when those who are pregnant and uh, childbearing potential? Let's start with um, Alice. During that time you were in that childbearing period or pregnancy, did you have that any barriers in getting vaccination or, or, or having not really vaccination or like vaccination when you're in the childbearing potential or, or did you, Dr. Dr. An, did you have any, notice any barriers in, in having um, patients who are, who are pregnant uh, get vaccinated? Well, for me, I think race awareness is very important because I wasn't aware about uh, hepatitis B and be transmitted from mother to child. So by learning how did I get the HPV, and that was a very kind of like fearful and shock to me. And uh, lack of education is this one of the major roles that play in the HPV elimination, especially for childbearing, you know, uh, a woman. And the other thing is, is about the normalcy of conversation, talking about hepatitis. You know, like diabetes, hypertension, this is pretty common conversation, you know, among the community. And but talking about hepatitis, you know, seems like everybody kind of bypass, you know, this uh, topic. If they see this topic is a taboo. And infectious disease definitely is not something that we talk about in the community, well, with the recent COVID, you know, it's just different. Everybody talk about it. So I think we have to really bring the conversation to a conversational level, you know, in a daily basis. So people will have the knowledge, won't be kind of like uh, afraid of uh, talking about it. And especially with, you know, the childbearing age, you know, populations. And they really need to be aware this is one of the uh, leading cause for the prenatal transmission. 
uh, for the hepatitis B and is it preventable? And educate them with all the effective you know, vaccination and testing and diagnostic, even treatment. This is nothing need to worry about with the updated you know, technology of science. Yeah, I think uh, continuing along with uh, the discussions that Ms. Chen has put in, I think we go back to the factors that we've discussed previously, knowledge and education, uh, access issues. Uh, I think the first part is that if there are barriers, it comes from a lack of awareness and a lack of knowledge so that there's a lot of uh, fear. Uh, there's a, a misunderstandings about the disease itself. So first part would be to increase the education, both of the patients, the community, as well as the providers. And to do that, I think, practically speaking, we have to recognize the, the challenges of language limitations and also potentially cultural barriers uh, because the, we can't lump everyone into a big category of other and put, for example, African patients who are born in Africa all in one bundle or Asian patients all in one bundle because I think that misses the nuances of different uh, cultural differences and barriers that might get in the way of both education and vaccination. And also the fact that there's a myriad of languages so practically language-specific education and outreach that is culturally sensitive, I think these are practical ways. And this underlies this next concept, which is linkage to care that we're going to talk about from both uh, vaccination and treatment, which is we can screen people, but if we don't have a plan for follow-up for vaccinating those who need the vaccination or treatment for those who need treatment, it becomes really uh, a empty effort, which doesn't lead to good outcomes. So linkage to care is the term that I think has been uh, widely understood and is important and responsible as part of the outreach and education process. One thing I want to add on to the cultural and linguistic uh, part, uh, how we can overcome it, uh, because a lot of time for the Asian American population, health literacy is a concern because they are low in health, you know, uh, literacy. And uh, other than kind of like uh, translate all the uh, education material into their languages, they also need to be educated, you know, about all the disease process, you know, in the layman term. And then the other thing is, is regarding the cultural specific, a lot of uh, the special populations, you know, with uh, their education and their knowledge. So I think the visual aid is, is very important other than the written. And also the color meant a lot to them too, you know, like in the Chinese, you know. We don't like to see a lot of blue or black or white, you know, in, in the poster or in the pamphlet because there can be a kind of like uh, signaling something sad and, you know, the end of life. So red, you know, something bright color, it is good, you know. So you have to consider all the cultural specific in order to approach to make the health education visual or either the video or either the written pamphlet to be more effective, you know, to target a certain populations. Thank you for that input. I think planning the educational materials, taking in consideration the culture and religion are really key important aspects in improving awareness and in the end, improving vaccination rates. And I agree with increasing the access and linkage to care. I agree that you know, we do have a lot of difficulty getting certain vaccines um, 
even the availability of vaccines. Um, it's not universally available in all clinics, particularly heavy hepatitis B vaccines. So these are all like public health strategies that has to be improved, um, improving access and education in you know, obstetric clinics, primary care providers. I think these are all very good initiatives. Yeah, and if I could continue along with what Dr. Layson was saying regarding the vaccination and insurance, a part of the more of a systemic approach to this is efforts to include hepatitis B vaccination as a quality metric for uh, outcomes that are tied to incentive care or outcomes care that we're shifting to, this value-based care that our, hopefully our, our future will hold. Um, I think that aspect of quality metrics, also insurance coverage, and as Dr. Layson said, the very act of getting a vaccine can be challenging if you're busy, if you have no insurance, and if you are in an area that really doesn't have ready nearby access. Uh, of a place that offers vaccine or if you have transportation issues. So as one can see, there, there are many challenges, but certainly this is an important aspect because primary prevention really is the most effective way for preventing downstream secondary and tertiary complications of hepatitis B. Uh, I want to bring up a point, you know, to piggyback on Dr. Arns uh, about insurance. So based on what I know that a lot of time, the insurance may be only covered for pregnancy. So after pregnancy, there's a gap, you know, in the coverage, you know, for the post postpartum mom. And so that will be kind of like the lost track, you know, to follow up with the mom and also with the baby on the coverage. So I think that's important for the healthcare providers and also the consumer to fill in the gap, you know, of the continuum of care. This part will be about managing patients who are pregnant who have hep B surface antigen positive, that is, they have hepatitis B. And the goals of hep B therapy or management in pregnant people are to recognize that we have two patients. First is the pregnant person in front of you, and the other is uh, the infant uh, in the womb. And first of all, as you look at this, our first responsibility is to make sure the mother is healthy because a healthy mother will lead to the best chances for a healthy baby or a healthy infant. Therefore, if the patient has indications for happy treatment in and of itself, they should be treated to prevent liver-related morbidity or mortality and long-term through viral suppression that decreases their risk of secondary complications. And treatment in this setting will be associated with the standard targets, normalization of liver enzymes, have BDNA suppression to undetectable, and if they're E-antigen positive, E-antigen loss. For those who get liver biopsies, the improvement in liver histology. Now for the infant, the risk of therapy is secondary in that it reduces their risk of getting hepatitis B from vertical transmission. Now, let me ask our panel, how important do you think are the discussions about preventing perinatal hepatitis B transmission? with people of childbearing potential who have Hep B and would like to get pregnant. Dr. Layson, and then Ms. Chen. Yes, these are very important discussions. Um, this has this has very important impact in terms of educating and counseling our, our patients who do have hepatitis B who are planning to get pregnant. They will always have questions. How will this impact me? 
as a mother during pregnancy. How will this impact the health of my the fetus and the baby during pregnancy and postpartum and the delivery? How safe are medications? If I am on treatment, are these safe to take? So there's a lot of potential interactions or impact of pregnancy and the potential of of having a baby um, in terms of um, counseling our patients. So these are very, very important. Thank you, Dr. Layson. Uh, Ms. Chen, I'd really love to hear your patient perspective. Well, I was very lucky that uh, my obstetrician at that time, it was uh, very caring. And once I find out I have hepatitis B positive with the chronic carrier, he Tell me, told me everything in detail. What will be the protocol uh, to prevent my, the transmission, you know, to the newborn? And also was informing me about how to protect my health. And so that is very helpful to alleviate some of the fear that I have, and especially about the transmission to my newborn. So he detailed everything about after the delivery what my newborn will get, you know, regarding the prophylactic treatment and the vaccine. So that was very fortunately, I have this OBGYN can follow through and also keep me informed. So that was a blessing. Right. And I think that both of your comments point toward the importance of taking the time. The provider has to take the time to discuss with the patient, because oftentimes I find that patients are reluctant to bring up fertility and contraception uh, in the setting of, for example, a liver clinic visit. And it takes extra time for the provider to do so because one has to take the time to educate the patient and then collaborate, for example, if you're the PCP or the hepatologist or the obstetrician. So it is absolutely important uh, to be proactive from a provider perspective, because there are challenges uh, from a patient perspective from initiating uh, this question. And I think we can move on to the second question here. What barriers uh, may prevent a pregnant person from getting treated for Hep B during pregnancy? Ms. Chan, can you tell us your perspective, having gone through this yourself? Well, first of all, I will ask, uh, you know, the doctor why I am the candidate, you know, to be treated. So I need all the detailed information about what is the benefit of the medication that offered to me. And then I will ask, also ask how long will be the medication being taken. And the last but not least is, is the most concern is the side effect uh, on the newborn. So how, how that will impact, you know, my, the, the, the babies uh, regarding the medication I'm going to take. Dr. Layson? Yes. I do notice several barriers that can potentially prevent patient who is pregnant from getting treated. I think I've previously mentioned potential fears of the actual medication. So they would think that this medication would potentially be lack of awareness in terms of like the safety, the efficacy of medications for hepatitis B during pregnancy. Other potential barriers include access, access to treatment. So if, if they were not on, on um, a medication before pregnancy, they're also concerned if their insurance will cover this. So we're talking about access to care again. Another potential barrier is um, the need to be monitored during treatment and 
a lot of times during pregnancy, there's a lot of things that they have to plan for financially, their health, having that extra requirement of getting tested frequently and potentially having taking a medication. There are cultural, maybe religious barriers of getting treatment while pregnant. Yeah, as we've heard, really, it's the fear of the treatment. That is, is the treatment worth the benefits versus the risk? And I think this is the challenge of uh, taking the data that we know and the guidelines that we know and then explaining it to the patient so that they have a, a great or at least they have a, a good enough understanding to be able to make that informed decision. And I think this also makes us think about there's challenges from a healthcare perspective. A healthcare professional may also have barriers in prescribing antiviral treatments during the third trimester for pregnant people who are indicated for hep B treatment. Dr. Layson, can you tell us your perspectives in prescribing antiviral therapy in this setting? Yes. So the barriers that I have um, encountered or my, my potentially encounter in prescribing antiviral treatment during the third trimester, uh, as I've mentioned, includes access to care. Um, we know we do have a lot of difficulties getting medication approved. Um, their insurance might not approve it. There are certain formulary preference for patient insurance. There also might be barriers of having the patient follow up. Some patients might not follow up. So there is a concern that you know if you prescribe something, are they going to follow up if they have other issues going on with their pregnancy? I think those are the potential barriers from the hepatologist standpoint. In terms of being a healthcare professional, not being a hepatologist, potential barriers that I see would be lack of awareness of indications, the treatment option, the preferred treatment option, the side effects, and the monitoring, and how long this needs to be continued, and, um, and what's the monitoring before and after. Thank you. I think a, a real barrier is the fear that by doing something that is giving a medication that they may potentially cause side effects or harm. There's also questions that they that the provider may feel from the patient saying, well, what about impact on breastfeeding? Or as we'll talk about later, or getting into the, into the blood, what about any risk to the baby and also to themselves? So this confluence of informing the patient to giving them the choice, to having them autonomy, to have the autonomy, having informed consent takes a lot more time. And, and I think that can be a barrier when you have limited time seeing many patients in a day. And if, especially if there's barriers such as a language barrier, all the other barriers that we talked about. But certainly this is very important, both from a pregnant person standpoint and from a healthcare provider standpoint, to be aware of the data that underlies the guidelines and to know that if there are indications such as greater than 200,000 I use per milliliter, that that person would benefit through an off of your therapy to prevent vertical transmission. So now let's jump to postpartum considerations. So we'll, we'll discuss infant care and breastfeeding. So to prevent maternal to child transmission, um, it is quite important to discuss infant immunoprophylaxis. Infants born to people who are service antigen positive for hepatitis B should receive immunoprophylaxis. Hepatitis B immunoglobulin and hepatitis B vaccine should be administered to newborns of mothers who are hepatitis B surface antigen positive within 12 hours of delivery. So let me go back to our panel. 
I just wanted to ask um, our patient or parents, what are the potential reasons that parents may decline a vaccine for hepatitis B of their infants? Ms. Chen? I don't think there's a reason that they should decline to protect the baby against the HPV. And uh, I think, you know, unless there's certain religious reason that uh, they refuse to do it, or either they are not being fully informed about the benefit of the HPV vaccine for the newborn. I think right now, I'm talking about in California, especially, um, even all the children before they enter school, you know, they will require to have the proof of the vaccine unless, you know, there is a specific reason. Otherwise, the parents need to be fully informed this vaccine is being safe and effective to protect the, the newborn lifelong. Dr. An, have you noticed any, have you experienced any barriers in some of your patients who are parents who, who may potentially decline vaccination for their infant? Yeah, I, I haven't personally, but I think part of that is that as a hepatologist, uh, I'm not their pediatrician. So it's, uh, it's hard to know if they've had good follow-up of, follow-up of the vaccines that their child should be getting. But what I do, and I think all of our providers can and should do, is to provide the full education. That is, what an important difference the, uh, the vaccination will make in, that, in their child's life. That by vaccinating their child, it will protect them from the chain of transmission that has led um, their, the, the child's mother to have Hep B, you know, to prevent giving that risk or that same burden of disease to their child, that the vaccination can prevent that. And when explained in that light and taking the time, I think I have not had any parents say that they don't want to vaccinate their child. There are people who have fear of vaccination adverse uh, effects in general, and so that will affect all the vaccines, such as the coronavirus vaccine, et cetera. That is far and rare in, in my experience. In terms of improving um, rates of vaccination for infants and immunoprophylaxis or prevention of maternal to child transmission, what are your thoughts about ways to improve rates of vaccination? I'll comment on this. I think it has to be a systems approach. All of us these days are facing the effects of electronic medical records. And there are the upsides of electronic medical records in that it can alert the providers that a patient uh, has hepatitis B. Therefore, their infant upon delivery, there should be recognition of the need for hep B vaccination and immunoglobulin. So a systematic uh, electronic medical record uh, approach. Secondly, I think the education has to start at the medical schools, nursing schools, and the uh, APP schools so that they're aware of the risk of transmission and the impact of vaccination. So thirdly, the patient education awareness. I've talked to my patients to remind them, first, the provider may be aware. Second, the systems issue may be in place, but we really also need to have patients be their own advocates as well as a way to make sure that they're engaged in their care and to help close any gaps that might approach, especially if the delivery is not going well or if there's a complication, it can easily be missed. A system-wide or a public health initiative are really good ways to improve vaccination. And I think like checking, improving the laboratory system too, in terms of screening for it and having it reported is also quite important. Like when we order hepatitis B screening, it would be important also 
to include the word prenatal or having certain lab order sets that not just flags it as a hepatitis B positive, but also like having the pregnancy linked to it to increase our rates of um, systematic or system-wide vaccination rates improvement in public health initiatives. Ms. Chang, did you have any barriers in having your infant um, vaccinated and having the hepatitis B immunoglobulin postpartum? Well, uh, information is, is, is important to educate myself, you know, how the immunoglobulin and the regular vaccine, the three-shot series will do, because I wasn't that familiar with immunoglobulin at all. I know about the vaccine will protect. So kind of like the, myself and the parents, they need to have full information. And then the other thing is that I will uh, tag on is uh, regarding talking positively will help instead of telling me all the side effects. And I only want to hear about the benefit, you know, what is good, how to protect the infant, uh, the baby. And then the other thing, I think the timing is, is important. Uh, if the provider kind of rush it, you know, kind of for the information, it's hard for, it's difficult for the patient to fully understand and feel like the caring from the providers. I know the PCP or the obstetrician, they, they have full load of patients, but still regarding these important matters, you know, will be good. Came from them with some patients to educate the pregnant person or the uh, new, new mom. And the other thing I want to tag on is, is, uh, like sometimes, you know, the, the doctor will say, okay, now, uh, I'm going to offer you this vaccine or this, uh, uh prophylactic. Uh, so this is the person will call you or you can contact regarding detailed information. And that will have a uh, loss in the track because I have experience regarding, okay, somebody will call you. It's a pharmacy, you know, and then call. And then by the time I don't have the trust, the trust is important, you know, in building the relationship with the provider. Somebody who I trust will come from them and then that's make a big difference, you know, in the acceptance and also the compliance. Thank you. I just wanted to add that I think there should also be increased education and post-vaccination uh, serologic testing to check if they uh, do develop immunity, which may potentially be lacking or if they need additional vaccines. One last topic is about breastfeeding. Uh, I want to ask Dr. An and uh, Ms. Chan. Uh, Ms. Chan first, do you have any concerns um, in terms of have, uh, having to breastfeed and about the risk of breastfeeding? Um, that was my question for my OBGYN at that time. And then I was reassured the breastfeeding regarding a chronic carrier, you know, uh, does not really impact the breastfeeding. So I'm kind of like really confident, you know, based on what the information my OBGYN was informing me because I trust him very much, you know, uh, at that point. So that wasn't a concern for me to be, have uh, the breastfeeding at the postpartum time. Yeah, and my counseling for the patient who's postpartum is the to emphasize the importance and the benefits of breastfeeding. I think the obstetricians can also elaborate on that as well as the pediatricians, but it's widely and clearly recognized. And so I, re, I, I tell them about that. And secondly, I address two fears. One is the fear of transmission uh, of hep B itself during the breastfeeding. And then secondly, the fear of the medications being transmitted to the baby if they are on antiviral therapy. 
And I tell them that for both of their fears, it is very reasonable fears to have, but that the, the risk of these, the transmission and the, the risk of any side effects from the medications is very, very low in contrast to the significant benefits that the breastfeeding will have. So I go over the data that is available of the medications that we have to say that the risks of any side effects to the baby are negligible and very, very low, but that the benefits of breastfeeding is very high. And thus the risk benefit is very clear toward recommending breastfeeding and that the risk of transmission during breastfeeding of hep B itself is unlikely and negligible, especially if the baby has had the vaccinations and immunoglobulin. So it goes to reinforce the importance of vaccination and follow-up and that the baby will need ongoing follow-up to make sure that they complete their series of their happy vaccinations. Thank you, Dr. Ahn, and thank you, Ms. Chan. I'd like to thank all of our faculty, Dr. Ahn, Dr. Layson, and Ms. Chan for that excellent discussion, and thank you to our listeners for joining in. As a reminder, to view the slide set for this podcast and the full program on HBV care in key communities, minimizing barriers and optimizing care on the Clinical Care Options website, Click the links in the show notes for this episode. Other key communities addressed in this program include Asian American people, African immigrant populations, and older adults living with hepatitis B. And please be sure to check back regularly for more episodes on important infectious disease topics. Thank you.